Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. This is Amy Vanderpool. Welcome to another edition of Shiro, the podcast. Don't get Colin. Um, yesterday, I did a podcast that I had intended to be kind of a legal primer with Alito's draft um, regarding the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade. And it kind of turned into an episode of, you know, just more discussing how everybody was feeling and just the shock and fatigue from the moment and realizing what's really at risk. So today I wanted to take um, a few more minutes and add on to that. So if you didn't listen to yesterday's podcast, I would highly recommend you do so after this one. I think it'll go really well together. Anyway, um, we are going to be talking about the Alito draft, which was published May 3rd. So two Tuesdays ago. It feels like just yesterday, but it was a little over a week ago. uh, Politico published a leaked draft of a majority opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito. um, And ultimately that draft overruled the landmark decisions in Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. And those are the precedent case law cases that established the right to a safe legal abortion and have done so for the past 50 years. So essentially, this is looking to overturn five decades of precedent that each of the Supreme Court justices, when they went through their confirmation hearings, you know, told the panels that they respected precedent, that they understood what precedent meant. And so we know for a fact that Kavanaugh lied. We know that Gorsuch lied. We know that uh, Amy Coney Barrett lied, if in fact they do overturn precedent. Um, So the draft itself was a 95-page document, and it's most likely the first draft that has occurred. So the Supreme Court, you know, whoever is the justice that's writing the majority opinion, they'll usually do one draft. That'll circulate around to the other justices. They'll read the possible dissents. Then they'll recalculate, you know, how they're going to word, and they'll be updating it constantly. So it looked to be the first draft. I, but at this point, we don't know if there are any other drafts that have come since or where we stand on this. The fact that this draft exists and the fact that um, Chief Justice Roberts um, confirmed the day after that it indeed was a copy of a draft opinion means that it is what was circulating. It's what is out there. It's what's being discussed. And some of the things in this draft are so rudimentary and so shocking that I just want to go over a couple of them with you. So in this draft, Alito takes no specific position on whether or not a fetus has legal rights. You know, uh, the, the current case law states that a fetus is not considered to be a person until a certain stage of viability. So It doesn't take an opinion on that, but it does kind of leave the door open for, quote, personhood legislation that could be created afterwards or um, a future ruling recognizing the personhood of a fetus or a fetus. So while he doesn't specify that a fetus, in fact, would have personhood under this in this draft, he leaves the door open to kind of elaborate on that later on and to change that down the road as well. Um, Ultimately, Alito is saying that the decision of 
abortion should legally go to each individual state under the 14th Amendment. So, you know, he's saying that each state should have the right to create their own laws that ban or allow abortion as they see fit. And this would ultimately create, you know, a tapestry of abortion laws from the most extreme to the most lenient. Um, And what's concerning about that is if we have legislation that's all over the place, all over the place across, you know, the border, across every aspect of, you know, what could be allowed here and what could be allowed there, there's going to be a very strong argument that a national law needs to be put into effect, um, basically establishing what we do on a national basis, because everything is so different. It's basically going to open the door for Republicans to argue that there needs to be a nationwide ban on abortion. And that's really concerning. Alito specifies in his draft that any future laws pertaining to abortion, if they're challenged in court, that the judge should apply the lowest level of constitutional scrutiny. This is called rational basis. It's it's the type of review that justices use when they're doing a con- a, a review of a constitutional law issue. And it determines the level of scrutiny that should be given, i.e. the level of favor that should be given to the person who is going against the government and the law that's been implemented. So, for instance, strict scrutiny, which is the highest um, standard of review, you have to it's very hard to pass that you have to the government has to show that they have no other choice, that it's 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 the easiest thing to overcome or it's the easiest thing to uphold, whereas rational basis is at the very lowest level. It's the easiest to overturn. So it would make overturning abortion law incredibly easy. Not only does he say that it should be used, uh, the rational basis test should be used as the new scrutiny. Currently, we have what's called an intermediate intermediate scrutiny that applies to abortion. Um, so he wants to lessen the level of scrutiny. But it's, it's going to be really hard for a plaintiff to win against the government imposing these abortion restrictions under this rational basis test. And he also presents kind of the excuse that everybody should use in their litigation for why it should be held, saying, quote, these legitimate interests include respect for and preservation of prenatal life at all stages of development. So not only is he saying, hey, we're going to use this, this last test, this last scrutiny, but we're going to, but here, here's what you're going to use. Here's your best argument to, to win. He's, he's doing everyone's homework for them, essentially, and giving them kind of the path to victory, which is insane. Um, Alito, in his draft, vilifies abortionists and refers to them as murderesses. Um, he also opens the door to abolishing other enum- unenumerated rights, the penumbra of rights um, that are rooted in the 14th Amendment, such as the right to birth control, the freedom to marry, etc. He also goes on to discuss the possibility that legislators could legally seek to punish people who don't get an abortion but exercise basic freedoms during pregnancy in a way that might be harmful to the, quote, prenatal life at all stages of development. So imagine, like, drinking coffee could ultimately lead to criminal punishment um, under this concept. It's it's pretty nuts. Alito establishes the future groundwork for overturning future rights. We've discussed that. Um, 
or and he says that rights that do not have a grounding quote in our national history do not deserve protection. So essentially, he's saying, you know, all rights that have previously been established by the court that have taken us many years to get established with the evolution of our society and our culture, um, but that aren't specifically named in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Keep in mind, very few are actually named in that because it was written so long ago. Um, those those things don't deserve certain protections. So think interracial marriage, contraception, the right to be non-consensually sterilized, the right to reside with relatives, to make decisions about your children's education, to engage in consensual and private same-sex relationships and intimacy, the right to same-sex marriage. All of these things, all of these laws that have evolved with the needs of our society moving forward and evolving would be struck down because they weren't specifically specified in a document that was written in the 1700s. Um, Alito implies that acknowledging rights like abortion rights could open the door to protecting the right to illicit drug use, prostitution and the like. So he's not only saying that that it, it shouldn't be a right, but he's giving it the connotation that it's bad, that it's not necessarily a good thing. And it could it could lead to other illicit things or things that are judged by by this court in this way. Um, he also discusses the fact that women's reliance on abortion law is of a lower order than the reliance interests that arise in, quote, cases involving property and contract rights. So again, you know, proper or rights that men have long relied on, those are important. Those are established. Abortion rights, not so much. You know, those those aren't an important right. Nobody really relies on that or no one should because it's an inconsistent thing and the laws differ. Um, Alito also claims that there's no concrete reliance interest with abortion cases that forms that sort of reliance dependence on empirical questions that d evaluates the effect of the abortion right on society and the lives of women. So it just further demeans women and the distinctions between women and men. Um, and while he's saying there's no gender discrimination, he's in fact discriminating against gender. Another shocking thing about this draft is that he cites these crazy outdated principles from science and questionable common law from like the 17th and 18th centuries in his way of justifying abortion and talks about criminalizing women for terminating pregnancies. He talks about um, an unbroken tradition of prohibiting abortion on pain of criminal punishment um, that persisted in the early days of common law until 1973. Well, 73 is when Roe went into effect. So He's just basically talking about all of the time before Roe as kind of the precedent, which we all know that it's not. Um, he uses archaic terminology to describe uh, the last 50 years of common and legal medical practice. He refers to reproductive care providers as, quote, abortionists. He obsesses over pre-Victorian medical terms that have contested meetings, such as the term quickening, the quickening of a fetus. Fetus is also spelled in the old English way. He goes into a bizarre analysis that has no historical substance. Um, he calls, he kind of lays out this proto-felony murder rule that categorizes where failed abortions would lie. Um, abortions, failed abortions that kill the life of the mother and how those would be charged. He claims outdated reproductive health care practices, nothing from current modern medicine. And he, he, he makes the argument that these outdated and medieval practices are somehow more relevant and more modern and more practical than, than the ones we use now to determine viability, gestation, all of those things. Um, he cites a primary source in the Gentleman's Magazine from 1732. 
He says, quote, but even if one takes the view that personhood begins when a certain attribute or combination of attributes is acquired, it's very hard to see why viability should mark the point where personhood begins. So he's making this argument about viability and personhood that's based on a completely outdated 18th century gentleman's magazine, which wouldn't even be considered a primary source. It, it, it's really strange. Um, he incorrectly interprets precedent and says that banning abortion is definitely not sex discrimination. And he mistakenly uses two cases to defend his point. But these cases are about disability rights um, for women who experience complications during pregnancy and the First Amendment rights of anti-abortion protesters, not on abortion itself. So he kind of twists rules that don't apply from other laws to have a different meaning into this one. So it's, he's incorrectly applying precedent, basically. He also goes on to sort of champion himself like a, a champion of women, um, saying that women, you know, in, by by relegating the decision back to the states under the 14th Amendment, women can now go to the ballot box to decide these issues for themselves. But he's failing to acknowledge the fact that the, the ballot box itself has been rigged by this court. This conservative majority of five now has been striking down civil rights left and right, including voting rights. And to strike down this is just another move in striking down women's autonomy and women's, you know, ability to voice their concerns. So it's completely hypocritical. Um, he compares Roe and Casey to some of the most abhorrent precedences in Supreme Court history, um, even referencing Plessy versus Ferguson, which is a case that included that allowed for upholding segregation. So he's basically saying that that Roe and Casey are are equal, if not worse, to segregationist laws. Um, he also ultimately states that lawmakers can proceed to ban abortion under the rational basis standard. So again, it's going to give them the easiest way to make sure that abortion bans stay. It's going to have the least amount of scrutiny applied to the law. So it's going to be easy to pass these laws that ban abortion. And he, again, offers all of the reasons for you know, arguing why this is essential, you know, and he goes on to say that legitimate interests would include respect for and preservation of prenatal life in all stages of development. So he's saying, hey, people just need to walk in. Somebody contests the ban. You know, the person that's defending the law goes in and says, your honor, it's a rational basis. That's the scrutiny we're using. And there's a legitimate interest in respect for preservation of the prenatal life at all stages. Bam, done. He's handing them the roadmap to it. So what this does to the law and establishing other privacy rights moving forward is that, you know, by Alito suggesting that abortion um, is linked to the destruction of potential life, it it divides the line between the right to abortion and other rights. So he's saying that, look, I'm saying this about abortion, but you don't need to worry about me coming for your other rights because there's a line that's drawn um, because this line involves a really more morally difficult question. But the problem is when you have five justices in a majority who have found this morally abhorrent, it's going to be quite easy for them to extend that morally difficult concept um, standard that Alito's decided to other issues. So, you know, gay marriage, let's say they find that morally abhorrent. Uh, it's not a far stretch. We know that often conservative justices have rolled that way. Suddenly we decide that, you know, his 
his standard of morally difficult should apply. And, and now we're striking that down. And this can go on and on and on. This can be stretched so wide to cover so many things that conservatives just don't like. I mean, it could even go down the way of Obamacare and healthcare. It could, they could find a way to call that morally abhorrent, you know, by telling people that they don't have a right to choose their own doctors in certain instances, blah, blah, blah. I mean, anything, anything could be our, it's, it's such a loose, broad concept that anything that they want could fall into it simply because they have the majority vote. So ultimately, um, He's Alito is essentially declaring that there's no constitutional right to reproductive autonomy um, and he's risking other judicially recognized rights when he does this. You know, he's saying the Constitution makes no reference to abortion. Well, the Bill of Rights does not mention the right to an abortion because I doubt the founding fathers felt that they needed to specify that in the Bill of Rights. But as we move on and we evolve our culture and our society and we find that, you know, having the ability to make your own choices for your own reproductive health care is bodily autonomy and it's kin to human rights. We come to evolve that standard. And so we don't need the Constitution to say that, but to understand that life and liberty include those concepts. So he's saying, you know, no, basically contract rights, all the rights men need in life that are specified by the Bill of Rights, which P.S. was written by men, for men, about men, all about men. That's the only thing that matters. Well, if we really follow that standard, then we're not going to be looking out for the advancement of anyone that's not a white man. Let's be honest. Slaves didn't have rights. Gay people wouldn't have rights. Women didn't have even the right to vote. So it, it gets it's it's just so regressive. And it's it's so blatantly saying that no one other than white men will have rights if we just limit it to the Bill of Rights. Um the the overall thing that's, I think, the most scary for this is that um, the court is going to ultimately they're using this majority to abolish precedent um, and to establish archaic laws as new laws and creating a new standard um, that they just don't morally approve of. Now, keep in mind, a lot of these a lot of these justices are Catholic. You know, this has a very Catholic centric concept. The majority of America is not Catholic, and we have a freedom from religion and for religion in the same way. So it, it's really problematic. You know what? I'm going to have a caller here. I'm going to take this call from David. Let's see. David, go ahead and unmute and go ahead and talk. There's a mute button in your bottom screen. Just unmute it. There you go. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Hi. Great. Hi. What do you, you're, we should probably say David's one of my friends. I know him. He's a lawyer. So I'm really curious to know what you're thinking about this, these things. Well, um, I have many, many concerns. I really like the point that you touched on about so many of the archaic things that are being brought in. Right. And in particular, Matthew Hale, who was, you know, the seventh uh, 10th century official who yep. believed in marital rape and that women were the property of men and who believed in witches. You know, if I was a first year law student and I wrote a brief and I cited somebody like that, I would be a laughing stock. But yep. you can be a Supreme Court justice and, uh, you know, use those kind of archaic and quite frankly, reprehensible 
and just superstitious ideas and get away well, what with do you it think and about have him that using... be the law of the land. Right. And what do you think about him using the gentleman's magazine as a primary source? <laughs> I mean, that's just really... It's insane, right? Yeah. Um, so, no, I think that's just that's just crazy. And it's so revelatory. Like, it really shows where he's coming from, what his thoughts are, and that he's not law motivated, but he's politically motivated. Right. Right. And, you know, there there have been these arguments that are increasing, increasing. And, and I, I saw Breyer actually try to make the argument that, you know, the Supreme Court is not a political animal, that it's free from that. And and I'm sorry, but nothing, especially after the age of Trump, nothing appears to be free from politics anymore. And to sort of argue that a human is able of transcending that is just the level of hubris is almost offensive. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And quite frankly, just the absolute lying. Like you look at Clarence Thomas and there's evidence that his wife was involved in an insurrection. And you're going to tell me that that doesn't affect him and make him political in his viewpoints. Exactly. Um, exactly. And that's, because you're... And that's just one example. No, totally. And you know, the Supreme Court has to do disclosures. They have to do disclosures of gifts and everything else and contributions in the same way that, you know, people in Congress do and people in the executive do. You know, it's a law. And I want to know if if Thomas was like disclosing his wife's donation to the Stop the Steal rally and to all of these other things that she's been funding. And right. and does it count like when she does work pro bono that helps to promote something that's the equivalent to essentially giving them work for free, which is, you know, the same as a donation. I mean, is that going to count? Is she it, it's insane to me that that we wouldn't that we're distinguishing suddenly now between his wife and himself when they most likely share bank accounts, share a house, all of these things. And, and they've somehow been just, he's been without scrutiny. I mean, Clarence Thomas of all people is so above scrutiny. It's, it's nuts. You know, I just go back to the Anita Hill hearings and everything that was said about him and which I believe to be 100% true. And he's the last person that needs to be like, here you go. Have at the candy store. No repercussions. Right. Sorry, I just went off on a rant there. What else did you want to say? <laughs> no, I, I would just I would agree with all that. And I would just add that it's just so amazing, the indignation, because they want to act like they're the victims and they're taking right. away rights from a whole group of people and doing something that's going to have a devastating effect on people's lives for years to come. And they want to act like they're the victims. Oh, somebody protested in front of my house. Oh, how dare you call me political? No, we're not political. And just the more they protest, the more it just shows, like, why would they just constantly say they're not political when it's obvious that they're political? They're just trying to deny what everyone knows. Right. And the way Alito has written this ruling in this draft, which I don't expect to be changed that drastically, the way that he's now set a new standard, which is so low for how these abortion bans are allowed to go into effect, that and the culmination of the five conservative majority that they now have, those two things put together are going to allow them to strike down anything that goes against what they believe to be moral which is essentially what the Catholic Church would not call moral. And we've so it, it's sort of putting like the Catholic Church at the head of our Supreme Court, don't you think? No, I would agree. And I think a lot of people that I've you know seen and read articles about are concerned about uh, Griswold, which is the case. Um, I believe that's the one on contraceptive. And mm -hmm. looking at that as their next target. 
You know, yep. if, if they're going after abortion now, then, you know, it might be illegal to uh, have contraception, which is just crazy. I mean, oh, yeah, that, it won't stop at abortion. No, no, no. no. This no. is the floodgates so opening. Yep. Yeah. The floodgates opening. And then you just you have a whole nother area where you're going to have, um, you know, the spread of diseases and yep. pregnancies. And, and just it's just crazy that. And you're right. It, they, those are Catholic doctrines that are being forced on people who are not Catholic. And it's really simple to, it, so I guess this gets lost for some people, but the bottom line, I mean, of course, this is going to be all rights. And we know that this is just the way to get to everything they don't agree with ethically. But when you control women's bodies and you control reproduction in a society, you control the economy. So by suppressing women now through these abortion bans, it will be so easy to suppress women through contraception bans, which they've already gotten through in a lot of different states. Right. And they tried to do that before they got to this. They were trying to to kill, you know, contraception before they even got to this point. So by doing this, they're essentially I just lost my train of thought completely. Help me out, David. No, I was just I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna put words in your mouth, but I, <laughs> I I I you know, I would just expand on that by saying that um, you know, they know where to strike. And this hasn't yeah. been something that was just very loosely thrown out or just spur of the moment. Like this has been a plan for years and years and years through federal society and, you know, getting conservative judges and you know, look at what Trump. Yeah, for decades. And look at even what Trump did. You know, so many of those judges didn't even meet a basic standard by the American Bar Association. Exactly. Were, and I, I'm sorry to go interrupt on. you, but no, in on. my Shiro newsletter, if you go to shiro.substack.com, if you go back a couple of years, I wrote some articles about how Missouri was sort of the testing ground for the Federalist Society and for testing out all of these laws. They've been using the most conservative states where they have the control to sort of put try to put these laws into effect and baby step you know, abortion restrictions for the last 40 years. And like I said, they went after contraception in the 2000s. You know, it was, I remember when I was in law school in Oklahoma, um, we had pharmacists in really rural places that would take prescriptions from women going to fill their birth control. They would take them, tell them they refused to fill them on their religious principles and then not return the prescription. And women in those cases, it's not easy to get that filled. It's not easy to suddenly, you know, go to another doctor 100 miles away and then get that filled at another pharmacy 100 miles away. So it was right. creating real problems. I remember, too, what I was going to say before, which was when you control reproduction, you control the economy. And this may sound simple, but it's so true. When women are not able to choose whether or not they can financially afford to have a baby, or if they are ready to become a mother, when they can't make the choice of when to start their family, they're unable to go to school, they're unable to get their educations, they're unable to advance in the professional world, they're unable to earn more money. They're unable to do the things that they need to do that that aren't reliant on, you know, taking care of children. And that's not the same. The same thing is not put on men. I mean, you can argue that child support goes on. But I mean, you're an attorney. I'm an attorney. How many men really pay their child support? I mean, when they don't, they don't. So I, it, it, the same standard is not applied to men. The same standard of caring for and financing these children is never applied to men in the same way as it is to women. So by controlling reproduction, you're controlling women. By controlling contraception, you're forcing them to start families when they're not ready. And that keeps them from advancing, which means white men continue to dominate 
power and money. I think I'm done. Oh, hey, it looks like I have another caller. David, stand the line. I'm just going to add Peter to this, okay? Sure. Okay. Peter, I'm making you the next caller. Go ahead and unmute. There you go. Well, thank you. Thank Hi. you. For... Hi. Well, I'm so glad, uh, uh, Amy, you are an attorney and David is attorney. Uh, I'm doing uh, basically... Uh, Lost issue. I'm sorry. I have to calm down myself, Amy. So don't blame yourself too much. This is a very hot topic. <laughs> I know, right? I know. So anyway, yeah. So anyway, uh, first of all, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, I am doing a, a, this uh, calling uh, show called uh, Judicial White Privileges, uh, The People's okay. History of American Jurisprudence. As a lawyer, you cannot do this kind of topic because you're going to lose your license and you're never mm -hmm. going to be able to practice law because you're literally accusing the court being an uh, institute of racism, right? So long story short, I'm going to do a uh, show on uh, Sunday. It's called uh, Civil Insurrection. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm talking about the leaking of this. So going back to this topic, uh, there's a law professor, Lawrence Goldstone. He wrote a book in 2012. Uh, it's called uh, Inherently Unequal. He, in that book, he talks about the Supreme Court decisions up to 1903, I believe, basically saying all these Supreme Court decisions literally established racial oppression in this yep. country. Yep. So, so uh, my show is trying to say not only there, going back to today, that's still the case. The court yep. is the source of racial injustice, among all injustice, right? So... So, so I actually ran out of ideas because I've been following cases after 1903. So the most recent case I have is uh, uh, you all you both are familiar called the Iqbal uh, I Q B A L case uh, in 2009. I was like, okay, that's it. That's the closest I can get. That's the good example. Okay, where... Peter. Just so you know, we're very mm -hmm. smart and we're very good lawyers, but unless we haven't refreshed our recollection on case law recently, so we're not okay. necessarily going to know That's what okay. you're talking about. So give us That's the okay. gist. Give us the gist of what you're saying. Basically, uh, I was very pleased to find out this uh, re uh, Dobbs case is the most recent example. Yep. The yep. highest court is a court of a judicial white privileges. Yep. Meaning. They abuse their discretion and not following the actual law on the book. Right. That's the bottom line. They, you know, that's you true. Have, uh, you know, yeah, Peter, so and that's a really good point. I think it's hard to say that across the board, the court has done that because the court has been made up of different types of majorities and different types of justices. And I, I can argue that there were some times in history where decisions were made that weren't as bad or that tried to help level that field but but it's always coming from a place of white male privilege and it's always coming from you know that background so uh, this is almost why this case is so critical now it's like you know yes. we had established we had established so many different laws and rights and important advances for people that weren't just white men. And we were looking to establish so many more. I personally was so excited to have the first female president, but more than that, I was excited for her to appoint more Supreme Court justices, which would have protected the Democratic majority, which would have meant we could continue to expand civil rights and rectify those initial 
problems of white privilege. But this is going to not even just stall it. It's going to jump us back a hundred years back to the start, like what the start of where you were talking about, Peter. You know? Yeah. Actually, yeah. Actually, I'm. Uh, uh, within three days, I concluded because I initially thought this is a gender equality case, not a racial case. I, so right. uh, I, I felt that it sounds very similar like a Jess Scott case decision. And I'm so glad recently this uh, female history professor in Maryland, uh, Holly Brown, I think, she said this is a Jess Scott. Uh, and uh, I agree well, with it her. Is. I immediately, it is. Uh, and, it is because, uh, yeah, let me, it is. Let, me, right, say th- right. let me say this. Yes, it's a gender issue primarily, but you cannot overlook the aspect of race and how it's involved because the reality is that women of color will suffer much, much more disproportionately from these archaic bans than other uh-huh. women will, which will mean uh-huh. that they will be unable to return to school. They will be unable to fulfill their potential and to advance themselves in the economy. So you, you can say, you can be a Lido all you want and say, oh, this has nothing to do with nothing. But we have two eyes and two ears. We can see it has to do with gender discrimination, which sadly does not have the same level of scrutiny that race does. Race has the highest level of scrutiny. But there is a race component to this. I absolutely agree with that. You can't... Oh, it's so strong. I'm going to go back to, uh, because what I find out is, uh, I, I know I can tell, uh, Amy, you are more on the left uh, on the left side of the political uh, spectrum. And here, I actually, uh, I consider myself a transcendentalist, meaning I I have no uh, loyalty to any political party. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, what mm-hmm. I find out is, is that the, the leftists, uh, uh, including yourself, is, uh, uh, sounds like they focus on outcome. They have not focused on so-called originalism, meaning you, uh, in my opinion, to defeat these white privileges, you actually have to go back to the law. And you yeah, actually have to go back to the English law saying, why well, and the problem. And I, I hear what you're saying, Philip, and I agree with a lot of it. But the problem with doing a comprehensive statement like, you know, leftists have done this, rightists have done this, is it's really hard to do that when you're talking about hundreds of years of the Supreme Court and it being comprised of different majorities. It's not something you can just, you know, if you go case by case, I think you could make that argument. Absolutely. But to just say it's this or it's that. No. But I think we can say that that this Dobbs decision is indicative of where we are headed, which is back 100 years for sure. But thank you well, so much actually, for calling in, Philip I or Peter. Have, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. Thank- if, if you don't mind, uh, I just have one more thing I want okay. to share with you. Okay. Because I actually believe this is why I want to, uh, I will not use the word defunct, but I will just remind you uh, on the le- uh, folks at, on the left-hand side, the role decision itself has a five Republicans in favor of Roe. So you cannot say, oh, if the court is to the left or right, it will be this way. No, the Roe itself. Right, but we're talking about, I understand that. I understand that. But we're talking about the court now, which is a Catholic conservative majority. So the court again in 73 was made up of different type of Republicans. So again, that's a different assessment. But thanks so much, Peter, for calling in. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. David, are you still there? Hello? Hi, are you still there? I'm still here. What did you think about some of Peter's points? I think some of them were really good. I think they're really good. Um, you know, in particular, uh, the dreaded Dred Scott. Um, <laughs> yeah. When, when you look at that case, you know, one of the basic holdings, and everyone who goes to law school learns that case. 
and it's you know an infamous case from the Supreme Court history. But basically, that the holding in that is that slaves were property, and I find it fascinating that Alito is um, quoting Matthew Hale, who believed that wives were the property of husbands, and therefore there could be no marital rape because how can you rape your own property? Right. And just the the connection between the property issue is very interesting. And even though he might not come out and say women are property, I think that's very clear when you start citing people like Matthew Hale. Well, exactly. And also the site of Plessy versus Ferguson. And that's another case that we that you have to learn. But it, it's like to say that that Roe v. Wade is more abhorrent than Plessy versus Ferguson, which which supported segregation. Uh, it's it basically, I think that says it all too. I mean, it, it says where his priorities are. It it shows the fact that he believes women are are secondhand citizens, if citizens at all, and that we're not entitled to basic human rights. And healthcare is a basic human right. Men are entitled to decide how they procreate and whether or not they're gonna. Well, for the most part, they don't have the same responsibility after the child is created. It's not imposed on them in the same way by the government and by society as it is on women. I think I just went off on a tangent there. I don't know. No, that's fine. I, <laughs> I think I think the irony of Plessy versus Ferguson is that they purport that it's okay if it's separate but equal. Right. And that that was so ironic and such a lie that you know they they were separate indeed, but they certainly weren't equal. Uh, the schools weren't equal. You know, none of the facilities were equal, and it was just uh, you know a very blatant cover up um, of racism. Exactly. Exactly. What do you think about? Um about Peter's point that there's a racial component to Dobbs. Um, remind me about Dobbs. Well, Dobbs is the Alito draft. That's how we're. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. For some reason, I wasn't connecting with the name. All good. Um, all good. I, I think there is. I mean, look at the the um, composition of the court. Right. And you know, and I think there's definitely a, a racial element to it. Um, I probably don't know as much about it. I haven't researched it maybe as much as Peter has, but. I can't imagine that, you know, it's not there, especially when you're talking about the kind of access that people have. You know, like I've seen things where people say, well, just go out of state. Well, you right. can't go out of state, you know, if you're not in a certain class or you don't exactly. have the resources to go. Exactly. And there, that, that becomes a racial issue, I think. I agree. I agree. It's it's disproportionately going to affect women of color and women who earn less money, which we've established women of color earn less money. Latina women weren't earn the least. So um, it's it's going to be a harder um, impact on them economically. And it's going to suppress their advancement as well on a disproportionate level. Um, so there is a race. There is a race aspect, how much they're willing to take into account again. Who knows? But this has been a great conversation. I always love it when you call in, David. Um, we have great conversations, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you, Amy. I appreciate it. Okay, bye. So, bye. everybody, I just want to wrap up by saying, you know, if you haven't listened to yesterday's episode, please do. Today's was kind of scholastic and, you know, could be considered slightly boring. It's important information that you need to know. You know, yesterday we talked about really what it feels like as an activist to sort of be bombarded um, over and over and over with these conservative 
crazy antics and, and how at, at every turn, we just feel like we're going back five steps. And we talked about just, you know, the need to pace yourself and the need to really focus on your health and to really get your head straight. And I've been talking about how that's been difficult for me since this decision came out. Um, but I will tell you one of the ways I'm getting started on my advocacy for defending our human rights, which is a right to make our own choice and choose our own health care. The way I'm getting started is tomorrow, there's a nationwide protest. Planned Parenthood is doing a, a bands off my body day. So you're going to want to Google. You can go to shiro.substack.com also and look at my latest article. All the links you will need to get involved are there. But you can Google Planned Parenthood ban off my body march for the 14th. And there are four flagship cities, Chicago, DC, New York, LA, that are definitely marching, but little marches have sprung up all over in every other city in the country. And there's a place for you to find out where you go and how to get involved. At the bottom of my Shiro article, there's a there's an article about how you can protect yourself. You can review your rights as a protester. You can make sure you're protesting um, legally and lawfully and that you're taking care of yourself and that you know, police around you are doing the right thing. And I'd also like to say that I will be available tomorrow via DM, direct message on my Twitter, which I will be leaving open. If anyone is at a protest and they have a question or they have an urgent issue and they need help, you can message me. I will be literally checking those in real time and making sure everybody has access to the help they need to get. I think tomorrow is going to be an important day. It's going to be a good start for another long battle that we still have a couple months on. But um, this is all leading into the midterms where we need to elect an overwhelming majority of Democrats. It's the only way we're going to protect our civil rights and our human rights. So we can start by taking care of ourselves. We can start by staying optimistic. We can start by making sure to take time out when we need it. And we can start by marching tomorrow and getting organized. So I really hope you'll join me. I really appreciate you for joining me today. And I hope to see you next week for my next podcast next Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. Until then, have fun Saturday. DM me if you need me. And um, we won't go back. Bye.